0: putting this mask on there's so much research that says that we actually are in danger of having this mask I'm breathing my own co2 do you understand that no I'm not <laughs> endangering you because I'm a healthy
1: person at the height of the pandemic this shopper made her views clear about masks she didn't like them her view is based on what she claimed was quote research, it was baffling, she continued, that no one else in the store was as smart as she was.
0: Look at all of these sheep that are here, all wearing this mask. It's actually dangerous for them and it's doing nothing for them. A 99% survival rate and you're all wearing masks like sheep.
1: Like sheep. Seriously.
0: It's ridiculous. You guys share this. This is what we're dealing with in America. This cannot be the new normal.
1: Or could it be that One quarter into the 21st century, the new normal is actually when legions of people consume information on a topic that validates, reinforces what they wish to believe. Information that is misleading, perhaps even deliberately false, there's a word for this, disinformation. I'm Paul Brandes and welcome to this series. It's called simply disinformation.
0: And I'm Meredith Wilson, founder and CEO of Emergent Risk International. And I'll be providing analysis throughout each episode.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic hit America like a freight train, flattening the economy, wiping out 22 million jobs in February and March 2020 alone. It was disruption on a grand scale, with words and phrases like masks, vaccines, social distancing, Zoom, working from home and more, dominating the lexicon. This was new territory for all of us and thus fertile ground for false information.
0: I think probably the 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 hardest, uh, you know, and, and perhaps the the saddest thing about it is that it quite likely made it significantly worse for people whose family members died.
1: Meredith Wilson is chief executive officer of Emergent Risk International.
0: People who may or may not have have had the correct information um, about the pandemic, about what caused it, and and about um, vaccines and things like that, in particular.
1: One reason lots of people did not have correct information was, as I mentioned, because the pandemic seemingly came out of nowhere. And while scientists worldwide raced to get a handle on it, inaccurate information spread like wildfire.
2: Disinformation really fueled the spread of COVID-19, so we were never just dealing with this new coronavirus.
1: Dr. Sima Yasmin is director of the Research and Education Center at the Stanford University's Health Communication Initiative. Previously, she served as an officer in the Epidemic Intelligence Service at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. She earned her medical degree at Cambridge University.
2: We were always dealing with this pandemic of an infection and a concurrent misinfodemic. This contagious spread of viral misinformation and disinformation that was spreading in parallel to the infection and had all kinds of debilitating and deathly
1: consequences. When Dr. Yasmin says viral disinformation, there's actually some data to back this up. John Gregory is health editor of NewsGuard, a company that tracks disinformation online. Using nine journalistic criteria, it assesses basic practices of credibility and transparency and assigns ratings and scores to those sites. Our Coronavirus Misinformation
3: Tracking Center catalogs all the websites that NewsGuard has rated where we found false claims about COVID-19. This moment is 632. That's in the US, the UK, France, Germany, and Italy, and also some in Canada where NewsGuard uh, launched last year. And these include any false claims about the the COVID-19 virus's origins, uh, treatments that don't work, and more, uh, you know, to making up most of the false claims, frankly, in the past two years or so, false claims about COVID-19 vaccines. So it's any website that has shared uh, misinformation on those subjects, anything related to COVID-19.
1: So all sorts of information. What? Is, why is this happening? Why are they doing it? And what what's in it for them?
3: Well, I think it started happening because it was the the story that was affecting all of our lives and even misinformation sites have to go kind of meet their audience where they're at in their own lives and if that's affecting your day-to-day activities it's affecting you know you going to work seeing your family that's going to be the subject they talk about and their role is typically to whatever the the reliable um general news media is saying they need to tell you why their narrative is wrong and counter it. And that usually means sharing false claims, misleading claims. And because this was dominating everybody's life at the time, uh, that's, that's where they went.
1: Why on earth would they do that? I mean, you have a leading news organization, as you say, that's making its best effort to get uh, the truth or accuracy, uh, life and death facts out. Why on earth would they want to counter that with stuff that's not true?
3: The motives vary from site to site, I would expect. Um, You can never discount, one, that they really believe this stuff. They really believe there's these big conspiracies, these big um, incorrect narratives pushed by uh, reliable news sources, government sources and whatnot, the pharmaceutical industry, hospitals, doctors. You can't discount the fact that they believe in those sort of vast conspiracies. Second is a profit motive. They want to get clicks. They want people to come to their websites and then click ads that drive revenue to them or in some cases the misinformation is the product by sharing what they see as an you know, oh the secret real information to their audience they may get them to pay 5 10 15 bucks for subscription for donations Uh, buy merch, all those sort of more direct revenue generators besides
1: ads. In other words, disinformation is a business model. There's a buck to be made from tapping into an audience that wants to believe things that most folks would classify as rubbish. Throughout this podcast series, we keep asking a central question. Why? Why do people believe certain things? In the case of the pandemic, Dr. Yasmin of Stanford wrote a book called What the Fact, where she traced the origins of disinformation. She says the sheer velocity of the pandemic helped false narratives take root. In my book, What
2: the Fact, trace back some of the Facebook posts, some of the tweets or the TikToks to find out where did they come from, but also what havoc did they cause? And you can literally find people who said, I didn't wear a mask because I heard about this new pandemic and I just thought it was a hoax. Okay, well, why did you think that? Because Facebook said so. Well, who on Facebook said so? Oh, I'm not sure. It was so many people on Facebook that I was seeing on my timeline saying it's not real. And then those people ended up in the ICU and some of them died. Some of them may Made it out alive, but very unwell, some of them disabled for a long time. So we can never dismiss the fact that when you have a public health emergency, when you have a crisis, there's a vacuum of information, especially early on. People are seeking answers for which scientists just don't have the answers yet because it's early, because it's a novel virus, because these things are being figured out into that vacuum Come, the snake oil salesmen and women who purport to have all the cures and all the answers. We're left very vulnerable at times of crisis to being susceptible to the lies.
1: Healthcare disinformation is hardly new, of course. It's also a worldwide phenomenon, and as we'll see, can latch on to any event. We'll discuss this after this short break. This series on
3: disinformation is a co production of Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. Emergent Risk International, we build intelligent solutions that find opportunities in a world of risk.
1: Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Welcome back. Deadly as the pandemic has been in America, it has been utterly devastating elsewhere. In Romania, for example, the per capita death rate has been reported as seven times higher than the United States. One reason for that has been a low vaccination rate fueled by politicians like that lady, a new member of the Romanian parliament who took to the streets to urge citizens not to get a shot. It was all maddening for that country's health experts who were attacked as quacks and profiteers. One of the targets for this vitriol, one of the most prominent health officials in Romania, is Dr. Raid Arafat, who spoke with me at a disinformation conference in Brussels.
3: We had a new uh, parliament member, a new very vocal uh, lady who, who was usually called on TVs to bring on more rating for a certain period, and she was really drawing everybody to watch. And she just said things against what we were doing, against vaccination.
1: In return for sharing his medical insights in an attempt to save lives, Dr. Arafat was subjected to personal attacks from politicians and the recipient of threats from citizens. Sounds familiar. Something else sounds familiar, too. If you recall in Episode 2 of this podcast series, we talked about how the Soviet Union, back in the 1980s, planted a story that wound up spreading around the world that said the CIA was responsible for the AIDS virus. Something similar appears to have happened with COVID-19. Some Europeans, including two in five Romanians, according to one survey, think the virus was an American-made bioweapon. Disinformation in the healthcare space is everywhere. We've been hearing for years about how the basic shot for MMR, that's short for measles, mumps, and rubella, causes autism. It's simply not true. Repeat, not true. But, as we've established in prior episodes of this series, people believe what they want to believe. Experts, authoritative institutions, and fact-checkers be damned. In the case of autism, much of the disinformation appears to be linked to a study dating back to 1998. After it was debunked, the doctor who wrote it lost his medical license, and the medical journal that published it acknowledged the error and retracted the article. But actions like these long after the fact often go unnoticed, and today, a quarter century later, millions of parents remain skeptical of vaccines in general. In January 2020, for example, on the eve of the COVID-19 pandemic, a Gallup poll said that only 45% of Americans believed that vaccines do not cause autism in children. The data shows a correlation between education levels of the parents and their belief in the efficiency of vaccines. Conspiracy theorists are everywhere and will latch on to anything as they search high and low for their beliefs to be validated.
0: Anything. have been working on Bill Safety DeMar Hamlin for the last... Nine minutes, Hamlin made a hit. He got up, took a couple of
1: steps. Even the collapse of an NFL player earlier this month has been twisted by some who claim that his cardiac arrest was somehow linked to the COVID vaccine. Doctors call this claim ludicrous, but as John Gregory reminds us, we know how these things work. Big, prominent sources of misinformation
3: were tying it without basis to the vaccine. I really think that anything... New in terms of a medical event, any new outbreak of disease, is going to be blamed on COVID vaccines because that's the narrative that these misinformation sites have decided to go with, no matter the lack of evidence behind that.
1: There will be future pandemics, of course, with variables like migration, climate change, and the ease of global travel acting as possible accelerants. Meredith Wilson warns of another accelerant, disinformation.
0: There is a sort of at some point a reckoning where people, you know, and I think this has really definitely happened uh, within American society where people have just said, "Okay, you do you. Um, But, you know, don't say you weren't (laughs) warned because um, at some point there's only so much you can do. Um, People are going to do what they're going to do. The um, you know, the concern, though, is always is there a way to. You know, ensure that they actually are getting the best information available and that they are at least aware um, before making decisions um, that, you know, some of this information may be false. And that's the, you know, that's probably the hardest thing that we will have to tackle going forward, um, you know, as we continue to, you know, sort of swim through this environment of of massive flows of information um and less and less availability of of sort of truly trusted and um you know agreed upon institutions within our government within our you know within the world um i think that will will probably be one of the, the hardest things that we have to contend with
1: If you like this show and this series, I hope you'll go to the Apple or Spotify page or wherever you're listening to this and give us a review. Thanks to Dr. Seema Yasmin, Dr. Raid Arafat, and John Gregory for their insights. Sound clip from ESPN. Our sound designer and editor, Noah Fouts. Audio engineer, Nathan Corson. Executive producers, Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando. And on behalf of Meredith Wilson of Emergent Risk International, I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks so much for listening.
0: I'm Alison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.